Good afternoon. Welcome to Lunch and Learn, number 83. We will begin shortly. Usually every Tuesday at 12, 12 o'clock p.m. we gather in the synagogue for our weekly Lunch and Learn. Hi Hank, welcome. Hi Jody, and I hope Roy is with you. We will begin shortly. This is uh, our weekly Torah session. We get together for lunch and learn. Usually we are in the synagogue and we are continuing to study Torah virtually. Nothing will stop us. We'll do um, what we can to continue studying, studying Torah and continuing our weekly lunch and learn study session. Hi Roy. Nice to see you. Uh, today is an interesting lesson, as we will see shortly. I emailed the source sheet, the usual source sheet, as well as you can see a link. Hi Galina, you can see a link uh, right at the top of this post, or the bottom. There should be a link uh, to a document where you can download or print the source excuse me, the source sheet, to follow along as we will begin shortly. Hi Don, hi everyone that's watching. And once again, if you did not receive an email, you can download the source sheet to follow along. There is a link on this post. There is a link you can download or print uh, the English source sheet to be able to follow along for this lesson. Uh, so this is our usual lunch and learn. We study Torah together, we look at some traditional Jewish sources like Torah, Talmud, Midrash, some Hasidic teachings, a little bit of Kabbalah, and we delve into the ancient teachings but relevant teachings of the Torah. Hi Alex, again if you did not receive an email with the source sheet there is a link that you can click on to download or print the follow along source sheet. We'll begin in just uh, another moment or two. Every week we choose another topic. Uh, this is week number 83 that we're studying together. Looking at different topics from the Torah perspective, from a Jewish perspective, with the theme of the living Torah. Taking the teachings of the Torah and applying it to our, to our daily lives now in 2020. Hi Jack. Hi Rachamim. And we are just about ready to begin. And as we usually do, we begin. Um, hi, hi, Igor. Welcome, everybody. Um, <clears throat> now, in the United States, there are about 500,000 people that applied for a job to be a census taker. Now in the United States, it's 2020, every 10 years, it's part of the American United States Constitution to count, take account, to enumerate the people, the citizens of the United States, every 10 years. And I believe coming up on April 1st is the National Census Day, hi Daniel, where it is, uh, I guess, a day dedicated to taking, um, becoming more serious of the census, filling out the forms. This year, I believe, this time you can do it online. 
I believe, but if you, you probably saw it in your mailboxes, and sooner or later, if you did not fill out your form, your census form, somebody might come knocking at your door asking you for your information. So one such uh, census taker, I think it was about 10 years ago in 2010, uh, knocks on the door and knocks on somebody's door and he has a name listed and he asks, knocks on the door and he says, Hi, does Chaim Novitsky live here? And the man says, No. So the census taker says, Okay, well then what's your name? He says, Chaim Novitsky. He says, didn't you just tell me that Chaim Novitsky does not live here? Aha, says the man, you call this living? So he was living uh, whatever kind of apartment or house he was living in. But yeah, our life definitely changed in the past uh, little while. Different kind of life. And we got to make the best of it and we're continuing to study Torah. Hi Brian, hi everybody else that's joining. Again, if you did not receive the email with the source sheet, there is a link here on the post to download or print the source sheet. Today's lesson will be dedicated to the topic of census. Just like in the United States, there is a census going on. I guess even amid this uh, coronavirus somehow, the census is going to happen. I guess mainly online, but... The census is happening. We're going to look at the topic of a census from a Jewish perspective. So uh, hopefully by now you have your source sheet ready, printed out or downloaded. And we'll take a look at source number one. Source number one, God spoke to Moshe. So just a brief uh, introduction here. The Jewish people are in the desert, in the Sinai desert for about... 40 years between leaving Egypt and arriving, settling in the land of Israel. And while the Jewish people are in the desert, they were counted. A census was taken of them more than once. And one such time is listed, is uh, recorded, excuse me, in the book of Numbers in Bamidbar. We'll take a look at source one. God spoke to Moshe in the wilderness of Sinai. Raise the heads of all the congregation of the children of Israel by families following their father's houses, you shall count them by their legions, you and Aaron. Just uh, one, more th one more thing, if everybody can uh, share this link so others can join in as well. Uh, that would be appreciated so more people can join. As well as, let me just uh, make sure here, everybody can hear me. If you can hear me and it's coming through clear, please uh, give me a thumbs up. Once again, if you can hear me, uh, just if you can let me know. Some, some, sometime, someone complained last time was not clear. If you have an issue, uh, let me know. So source number one told us that God spoke to Moshe in the wilderness of Sinai. So God was communicating with Moshe and God tells Moshe while they're in the wilderness, they're in the desert of Sinai between Egypt and the land of Israel where the Jewish people were spending 40 years, he tells them, he tells Moshe, raise the heads of all the congregation of the children of Israel. Raise their heads what, by families following their father's houses. You shall count them by their legions, you and Aaron. So God is instructing Moshe to take a count of the Jewish people, to raise their heads, to have a head count of all of the Jewish people. 
And who should be the one? Who are who are the census takers? Who are the ones that were enlisted? Who were taken up, taken for the job to count the Jewish people? Moshe and Aaron. Now the Jewish people, there were about three million of them in the desert. Um, lots of them, and maybe not all of them were counted. Specific ages were counted, but many of the Jews were counted. And who is given the job? God instructs Moshe to count the Jewish people. Who should count them? Not just that it should get done. Moshe and Aaron, Moses and his brother Aaron, the leaders of the Jewish people, they should be the one to count to count them. Take a look at source number two, which is a quote from Rashi. Rashi is Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki, who lived about a thousand years ago. And he is the primary commentator on the Torah. And he quotes some words of the verse. Source 2, raise the heads, take the census. So it's a, uh, not a regular term in the Torah, raise the heads. But it means to take the census, to count, take a head count by families. The Torah says God wanted it should be counted by families to ascertain the number of people in each tribe. The Jewish people are made up of 12 tribes. And each tribe should be counted and then add up all the numbers and you'll get to the total of how many Jewish people there are. So simply put, God wanted to know how many Jews were in the camp, were in the Jewish camp. How many Jews were there? So he instructs Moshe and Aaron to count the Jewish people. But that's, this brings up two questions. First question is, Hi everyone that joined. There is a link to a source sheet that you can download to follow along. First two questions are, number one, usually when you count something, you want to know the amount of what you're counting. But of course, God knows, Hashem knows how many Jews there are. Hashem knows everything. Why does He have to instruct Moshe to count the Jews? He knows the number. So if Hashem is doing it for Himself, God needs to know, God wants to know how many Jews there are in the desert. He knows. He doesn't need a count. He doesn't need Moshe and Aaron to count them for Him to know. And if it was for Moshe, Moshe wanted to know. Moshe could have done it himself. He didn't need God to instruct him to count the Jews. And secondly, why did God instruct Moshe and Aaron to be the ones to count the Jewish people, the census takers? I mean, the ones that are going around here in the United States will, will be coming around soon to take a census to count and get information are people that are either unemployed, young, uh, not skilled or just looking to make an extra couple of dollars and not really the, the doctors or the leaders the, the president himself is not coming knocking on our door neither is the mayor there are people that are looking for a temporary kind of job and you don't need to have any skills you don't need to have any credentials to get this job really you just got to know how to read and write and know the order of the ABC and you're hired so why is it that Moshe and Aaron, the leaders of the Jewish people, Moshe is the, spiritually the, the one communicating with Hashem. He is the teacher of the people. He is called Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu. He's the leader. He's a, the teacher. He was the judge of the Jewish people. And Aaron is the high priest. He's the Kohen Gadol. He is in the temple. He's doing the service. He's doing the rituals. He's making sure the sacrifices, everything is going smooth. Moshe and Aaron, they have nothing better to do that God has to instruct them that they should go and count the Jewish people, go tent by tent and see how many people are living in each tent and come up with a sum that the total of the Jewish people. They could have given it to the youngsters. They could have given it to other people to do the job. And God specifically instructs Moses, count the people as if he needs to know what their number is. And Moshe didn't do this himself. God had to instruct Moshe, go and count the people. And you should be the one, you and Aaron. 
So what is it? What is so special about this counting that God has to instruct? And seemingly, if it was just technical, that Moshe needed to know how many Jews there are, how many Jews he's overseeing, he's leading, he, could have, he should have done it himself. He could have came up with it himself. If it was a technical thing, why did God have to instruct him? It seems like God had something in mind here. God specifically hires and instructs Moshe and Aaron to be the ones to count the Jewish people. Let's take a look at source number three. Again, Rashi. Rashi quotes from the Midrash. Because they were dear to him, he counted them. By counting how much of something we possess, we express how much each unit adds to the value of the whole and how indispensable each unit is to the whole. The counting of the Jewish people demonstrated the value of every individual, how cherished each one is to God. Rashi is telling us that counting is done. You count something which is precious, which is valuable to you. And you don't count uh, the crumbs of bread on your table. I mean, that, that's not important. It just, you know, it's going to the garbage. It doesn't matter. You count something which is important. You count your children. You count the students in a class to make sure everyone's there. You count something which is important. And by counting, you are pointing out that in order to get to the number, you need each and every person. So say for a minion. For a minion, you need 10 men over bar mitzvah. So when you're counting how many men there are in the room, you need every single person because in order to have 10, you need one, you need two, you need three, you need every single person is important here. One person leaves, the minion is over, no one, the, the man can't say Kaddish. You need to have 10. So the counting is bringing out how each and every one is valuable, is indispensable. There's, there's somebody, the, if the person is not there, something is going to be missing. We need each and every person. So in other words, what Rashi is telling us is that God did not need to know how many Jews there were. And he wasn't either trying to get Moshe to know how many Jews there were. Because if he really needed Moshe to do it, he could have told Moshe the amount of Jews, and Moshe should have done it himself. God was instructing Moshe to count the Jewish people in order to send the Jewish people a message. Source 4. We learned from Rashi, now we'll take a look at Ramban. Ramban is an abbreviation for Rabbi Moshe, Ben Nachman, known as Nachmanides. His name was Moshe, his father's name was Nachman. Again, one of the primary commentators on the Torah. Source 4, for those that join, there is a link to the source sheet that can be downloaded or printed to follow along. <coughs> Today's topic is the census, looking at the census from a Jewish perspective. The census, Source 4, the census was a great opportunity for every Jew to come before them tell them his name, and to be counted as an individual of personal worth. So the counting was God's way of Moshe giving a message to the Jewish people that each and every one of them is important. In order to count them, he had to go to each and every person, Moshe himself with Aaron, and say, what's your name? Which tribe do you belong to? Who are you? And how old are you? And count each and every person. Every person had an opportunity to present himself, to be known, to be made known to Moshe who he is, and be counted for as a number. In order to get to the sum total of 600,000 men that were counted, each and every Jew needed to contribute. Each and every Jew was counted as one. So by counting, God was showing how each and every one of them, each and every Jew that was counted, is important, is, is contributing. It's not just, you know, you're, you're born by accident, as I've heard 
Some people say there's no such thing. Every person is, is born with a mission. Every person has a specific mission. They are indispensable. They are, there's nobody that could fill in for them. They have their unique role, their unique mission that nobody else could accomplish. Because if somebody else could, accom- could have accomplished it, then God wouldn't make us here. God wouldn't make each and every one of us. Each and every one of us, just as our faces are different, there's no two faces that are exactly the same. Our finger prints are different. Each and every one of us have a unique neshama, a unique soul, a unique mission that each and every one of us is counted for and needed. So God was sending a message by instructing, instructing Moshe to count the Jewish people, I love each and every one of you. You are important to me. I'm counting you because each and every one of you is valuable to me. I, I need every one of you. I created each and every one of you for a specific purpose. That was the counting. So the counting wasn't, you know, usually you count something because you need to know how many desks should I order for my new class. If you're a teacher, you look at the list and you count how many students are coming. So you need to know, you don't need to count the students for the students. You need to order the desks. You need to know what's the total sum, how many desks should I order. But God is not counting the Jews in order to know how many Jews there are. He knows that. He's counting the Jews for the process of the counting. He's counting the Jews because the process of counting sends every Jew a message that each and every one of them is loved and valued by Hashem, is precious to Him, is important. So it's not the result of the counting that's important. It's the actual process of the counting. And it's not for him. It's for the students. It's for the people themselves to get a message. Wow, I am being counted. In order to get the sum total of 600,000, I am one number. I'm there. It's me. I am valued and important in Hashem's eyes. Let's take this a step further. Source number five. There was once a minion, before we get to source five, there was once a town where there was exactly 10 men or boys over the age of Bar Mitzvah. And there was someone that needed to say the Kaddish. And everybody showed up. There was exactly 10 men or you know, over Bar Mitzvah. And everybody made sure to be there. And they had a minion every day, never had a problem. Everybody knew they, were, they, they, they had to be there. One day, a new family moves to town. It was a big celebration. Now we have an 11th person for the minion. It will be much easier. But you know what happened? As soon as that family arrived, they had never had a minion. They always had trouble. Because as long as it was only 10 people, each person felt that they are important. They are needed here. They are indispensable. There's nobody else that could fill in for them. As soon as it was an 11th man, everyone said, Oh, don't count me. And I, some, there's 10 without me. And the message that Hashem was sending the Jewish people was that there is no one else to fill in for you. Each and every one of you is important. Each and every one of you has meaning for his life, has a specific mission. That's why I created you, different than everybody else. Hi, Irene. Let's take this a step further by looking at Source 5. When things are counted, they stand in a relation of equality. Each person was counted, irrespective of his level of observance, his skills, her skills, his degree of learnedness, or whether he was a man of means or impoverished. Each individual was shown that he counted for no more and no less than one. Another interesting, a deeper idea in counting is that, yes, each one was counted, but each one was counted equally as one. And I'm sure the Jewish people in the desert, there were the greater scholars, there were those that were more knowledgeable, more intelligent, there were those that were more... uh, had more, more means, they were more wealthy, more prominent... 
and then older, younger, all different kinds, more observant, less observant. The Torah was just given. There were those that caught on quick. I'm sure there were those that that were of lesser lesser level. And yet, every single one of them was counted as one. Because when you count, you count one to each person, no matter of their accomplishments, no matter their faculties, their greatness, their their, their intelligence, or how much tzedakah, how much money they have, how many good mitzvahs they did. Everybody is counted as one. You don't say, oh, this person, he's worth one and a half, two. And this is not even a half, he's only a quarter. Everybody, everybody is one, equally one. So the counting is bringing out something which in each of us is equal. Because if we're counting our accomplishments, then why are we each counted as one? Some are counted as less than one, and some are counted as more than one. By counting each person as one, God is pointing to a part in each and every one of us, which in that we are all equal, and we are all counted as one. The Rebbe, the Rebbe, Rabbi Schneerson explains in Source 6, irrespective of external trappings, God treasures His essential value, the essence of every person. Since the senses was a token of God's love, it must have been a gesture towards that in which every Jew is equal. Not His intellect, not His moral standing, but his essence, his Jewish soul. Now this is something that which we cannot usually observe. So the point of the census was to bring the soul of each Jew into prominence at the surface of awareness. I stand. So what the Rebbe is saying here is that counting each person is, is the same. Each person is counted only as one, not less than one, not more than one. Because what is he counting? What is God instructing Moshe to count the essence of every person? So as we said, counting is God's message of love to the Jewish people, saying, I love you. Which part is God counting? Which part of us is God counting? God is counting each one of us as one because He's counting the essence, the essence of our souls, and in that we are all equal. So in other words, by God counting us, He is bringing out our souls. He's bringing out our essence, the best of us, the loftiest part of us, the deepest part of us. He's bringing that, bringing that to the forefront. He's bringing that to the surface. Each one of us has that soul. We have that potential good. We have that peace of God, the soul inside of us, which in that we are all equal. So by counting us, by God instructing Moshe to count us, he is bringing out your one, your one, even somebody that it seems to be in his intelligence, in his, what he's doing, in his action, he seems to be less than one. By counting even him as one, by counting each and every person as one, God is saying and bringing out to the surface that deep soul, the essence of the soul to the surface saying, you are one. Even if you seem to be lacking in the external part of yourself, in your faculties, in your action, but you are one. He's bringing out the soul to a place where that can influence the person to actually become, even in an external way, more and more uh, productive. And this explains why the term the Torah uses, God tells Moses, Moshe, raise the heads. What does it mean, raise the heads? So see, simply it means to take a head count, you know, because you're not counting what's going on in the head. You're, you're not counting 
how smart or how intelligent somebody is or how much they accomplish, how much good they do. You're counting the heads. Take a head count. Well, what's the term raise the heads? Because we see in Source 7, Hasidic philosophy explains, when God counts us, He is stimulating the highest and loftiest part of our being, the spark of divinity which lies at the core of our soul. He is raising our head. The head is the loftiest part, the most important part of the body, which controls the body. And in Hasidic terminology, in, in, in terms of Kabbalah, the head refers to the neshama, which is the source of our life, our souls. And God tells Moshe, by counting the Jewish people, you are raising their heads. You're taking the head, the neshama, the soul, the most important and loftiest part, the core of, of, of each and every one of them. And you're raising it. You're bringing it to the surface. You're elevating it, bringing it out. Bringing out the person's potential. Bringing out the person's goodness. That that can be more felt, more revealed, and more influential in the person's life. Who was elected? Who was chosen to do this job? To look at every Jew and say to every Jew, you are no less than one. You are counted as one. You have a soul. You have a good, deep soul that is a piece of God that is only good, that shines like a diamond, that is precious like a diamond. And that each and every Jew equally has that. Who was enlisted to do that? Only Moshe and Aaron. They tell a story, the Rebbe, every Sunday, hi Oscar, hi everyone that just joined, there is a link on the post that you can download to follow along the source sheet. Every Sunday in the late 80s, early 90s, the Rebbe would stand outside his office and people would go by one by one. The Rebbe would give them a dollar for charity, sometimes two dollars, to give to tzedakah. It was an opportunity for people to ask for a brief, uh, had a brief moment to ask for a blessing, for a birthday, for whatever issue they had. The Rebbe would respond briefly. I merited to go by with my mother when I was a young child uh, more than once. Still, I still have those dollars. I know some people here, I believe Galina who's watching, uh, has, has had, had that opportunity. And sometimes it would take hours and hours every Sunday, it would, four, five, six hours sometimes. And the Rebbe was uh, in his late 80s, standing the whole time, his face is shining, bright. And one elderly woman came by. People would wait in line for two, three hours. The line would go outside the shul, outside the 770 Eastern Parkway, down Eastern Parkway, you know, down the street. And this elderly woman is waiting in line for a while. And when she approaches the Rebbe, she says, Rebbe, tell me, you're not a young man. How is it that you're standing here on your feet for hours and you don't seem to be tired? Your face is shining bright with a smile. You seem so invigorated. What's going on? And the Rebbe immediately responded to her, when you're counting diamonds, you don't get tired. As we're saying, diamonds. You count diamonds. Diamonds is precious to you. You count them. The Rebbe was saying every Jew is a diamond. The Rebbe, being a leader of Jewish people, looked at every Jew and all kinds of Jews. It wasn't mainly the Hasidim, quote-unquote, that were going by. It was all kinds of Jewish people from Russia, from Iran, from anybody, any Americans, any Jewish person, some non-Jewish people as well, would come by and get a blessing. You can watch the videos and see what kind of people would go by. The Rebbe said every Jew 
is a diamond. And when you're counting diamond, you don't tire. The intelligence of every Jew that came by, the mitzvahs, the Torah study, that everybody was on a different level of observance, a different level. And yet the Rebbe looked at each and every one of them to their core, to their neshama, to their soul, to their essence, which was pure as a diamond. A diamond may be covered up with some dirt, but all it needs to do, all you need to do is polish it. That's what the Rebbe was doing. And that's what God instructed Moshe and Aaron. Those are the ones. Not people that are just looking to make a couple of dollars and are not necessarily so skilled. Moshe and Aaron, the leaders of the Jews, were enlisted. Stop teaching Torah to the Jews. Stop overseeing everything. Take your time. Go to each and every individual and tell them you are counted as one. Count them. Give them a message of love. Give them a message that God needs them. They are indispensable. There is no one that can fill in for them. They each have a unique mission and a specific reason why they were created. And nobody else can do for them. We need you here, God says. I love you. And Moshe is the one that's able to say that, to look at every single Jew, no matter his level of observance, no matter his level of intelligence, of Torah study, of doing mitzvahs, doing good deeds, how much tzedakah they gave, how kind they are. Nonetheless, each and every one was counted as one. By Moshe doing that, he looked at every Jew, he brought out his essence, he polished the diamond, the soul, the deep core of every Jew, he was polishing them. As we see in Source 8, only a special leader of Israel who sees the pristine soul in every individual and the good within every human being, who chooses to define things by the good in them, rendering the bad in them external and superficial, like dust on a precious stone, only he can be trusted to polish God's diamonds. Moshe is the one that set the example how we should look at another fellow human being, how we should look at another Jew. And that's why he was given the job of counting the Jewish people. Source 9, every Jew possesses this invaluable worth by virtue of his or her unique soul essence. You, go, you don't need to do anything to have this Jewish soul. You just got to be a Jew. You have that inside of you. By virtue of this essence which the simplest Jew possesses no less than did Moshe. Moses himself was counted as one just like every, any other. No matter what level he was on, everyone was equal. All Jews are all equally God's children. When we recognize this, we too will cherish and never dismiss or overlook any Jew. By the Torah recording the story, recording the senses of the Jewish people, and how it was Moshe and Aaron himself. Imagine the president himself, or the mayor, or the governor would come knocking on your door. How many people live here? Does Chaim Novitsky live here? Moshe and Aaron themselves were instructed by God. Not because he needs to know the sum total. Because the process, the process of counting was sending a message of love. Moshe and Aaron were chosen to deliver, to express to them God's love, how each and every one of them is important, and to bring to the surface, to raise their heads, to raise their souls, and infuse them with the ability to connect to the neshama, to the goodness of their souls, and set a lesson, set an example for us. His elderly man was sitting on his porch and a young man with a pad and paper with some forms comes by and the elderly man says, you know, what do you want? What are you looking for? I know I'm not interested in buying anything. I'm not interested. He says, no, well, what I'm trying to do, we're trying to figure out how many people live. Sorry, the elderly man looks at him and says, 
I'm sorry, sir. You came to the wrong place. I have no idea how many people live in the United States. So that's what's going on now. There's a census being taken. And we're talking about the census of the Jewish people. <clears throat> Let's move along. Source number 10. The question is, we understand why Moshe and Aaron, why God needs to ch count the Jewish people. It's the process. It's for the Jews, not for him. But why were they counted according to their tribes? As we look, if you see in source number one, God says, count them by families following their father's houses, which tribe, then Rashi explained to us, to a certain the number of people in each tribe. Excuse me. Seemingly, if we want to send this message to the Jewish people, why is it important to first count each tribe individually and then count up all the 12 tribes and we know we get to the sum total? It would be enough. All the Jews file by and we'll count each and every one. Why are we referring, why are we counting them in specifically according to their tribes? And it wasn't just a technical thing, okay? You know, let's just do one at a time. Because from the fact that God instructed Moshe and Aaron to be, for it to be done that way, obviously, and it was recorded in the Torah, obviously, that's exactly the way God wanted it to be done. Not just it was done that way, it was how God wanted it to be done. It wasn't just technical. And from the fact that it was recorded in the Torah... I mean, who really cares? Why is this important to us living in 2020? How many Jews were there then? Or how the process was done? If they counted them as one people, if they counted them divided into 12 tribes. I mean, they figured it out. From the fact that Torah records these details, because this detail is part of Torah. The word Torah means teaching. It's teaching us a lesson, an eternal lesson. Not just the general lesson, how we should view each other, how we should view every single Jew. We should view them with a good eye, looking at their neshama, their souls, and how each and every one of us are equal. But also, from the way it was done, how it was done tribe by tribe, that is also part of the lesson. And the question is, what is that lesson? So let's take a step back and talk a little bit about the 12 tribes. We had a previous lesson. This is lesson number 83 in our weekly Lunch and Learn, probably uh, 10 or about 10 lessons back. We had a lesson dedicated to the 12 tribes. What, what's the meaning of the 10 lost tribes? And just to bring up a couple of points. So, <clears throat> bring up a couple of points so we can understand the answer of the 12 tribes. Take a short break and Stan asked a question here. Who kept the half shekel per Jew that was used to count? If anybody has any other questions, you're welcome to post it in the comments. We'll have more time once we've done the source sheet. But to answer that question, it's interesting. One of the ways the Jews were counted, or the way the Jews were counted, was each of them, the Jews were counted more than once in the desert, I believe four times. The way they were counted was by each of them giving a half shekel. And that money was used to pay for the communal sacrifices that was going on in the temple. Every day there was the morning sacrifice and the afternoon sacrifice, which our daily prayers correspond to, the morning prayer, the afternoon prayer. And that money was used for that because it was a communal sacrifice given on behalf of the community. Everybody contributed. Until today we have a custom on Tainus Esther, the day before Purim, to give the three half shekels because that was the time of the year when 
it was a yearly mitzvah to contribute, give a half shekel, and contribute to the sacrifices. But what's interesting, how it connects to our theme here, is that each and every Jew gave exactly a half shekel. No less, no more. And the Torah has to specifically say the rich should not give more, the poor should not give less. Everybody should give exactly the same amount because everybody... What we're counting here is the etzem, the source, the soul, and in that everybody is equal, specifically the right, the, the same amount. So where do the tribes, the tribes originate from? The Jews are split up into the 12 tribes, the 12 Jewish tribes. So it goes back to <coughs> Jacob, our forefather. So the first Jew was Abraham, Avraham, Abraham and Sarah, his wife. They had a son, Yitzchak, Isaac, famous story of the binding of Isaac. Isaac married a woman, Rivka, Rebecca, and they had a son, twin boys, Yaakov, Jacob, and his twin brother Esau, 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 who went off to a different path, uh, father of the Romans, uh, and the great-great-grandfather of Haman, and the Purim story. We'll talk about his other, other son, Yaakov, known as, in English as Jacob. Jacob married four wives at the time, that was common practice. And from his four wives, he had 12 sons. As we, take, as we see in source number 10, a quote from the book of Genesis. The sons of Yaakov were 12 in number. The sons of Leah, his wife Leah, was Reuven. He had six sons from, him, from her. Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Yisachar, and Zevulun. The sons of Rachel, Rachel, his other wife, Yosef, famous Joseph, who was a ruler in Egypt, and Binyamin, Benjamin. The sons of Bilha, his third wife, Dan and Naphtali. And the sons of Zilpah, Gad and Asher. Count them up, they are 12. The 12 boys, he also had a daughter, but 12 sons. The 12 sons of Jacob and their families, each of them married and had families, their children all identified with their father, grandfather, the 12 sons of Jacob. And thus the Jewish people in Egypt were divided, were identified in the desert as well as 12 tribes. They were the entire Jewish nation, the children of Israel. Israel is the second name for Jacob. They're all the children and grandchildren and descendants of Jacob. But more specifically, each one of them was... Uh, from a different line of one of Jacob's sons of the 12 tribes. And, you know, think of some Jewish personalities throughout our history. King David was from the tribe of Judah. We know his lineage. He was from the specific tribe of Yehuda. The kings were from Yehuda. <clears throat> Good question, Judy. I was thinking of that. We'll address that uh, soon. Samson, Samson the mighty, the mighty man Samson the Nazareth, who brought the house down on the Philistines. He was from the tribe of Dun. Uh, Mordechai, Mordechai, the leader of the Jewish people during the time of Purim. Story of Esther, Mordechai was from the tribe of Benjamin, as well as King Saul. Saul, the first Jewish king before King David and King Solomon, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. And so... Many of our different prophets and teachers were from different tribes. And we learned in a previous lesson what happened to the ten lost tribes and so on. Now the twelve tribes were 
identified individually, as we see in source 11, the Kohen Gadol, Aaron, Aaron the high priest, as well as the subsequent high priests in each generation, wore special, a special set of clothing. One of them was the Choshen HaMishpat, which was a, a plate which was worn, it's called the breast piece. Source 11, when God instructs them how to make the clothing for the high priest, he says, set it Set in it mounted stones in four rows of stones. There shall be twelve stones. They shall be engraved like seals, each with its name for the twelve tribes. Twelve stones on this piece, each stone corresponding to another tribe. Aaron shall carry the names of the sons of Israel on the breastpiece of decision over his heart when he enters the sanctuary for remembrance before the Lord at all times. When he comes into the Holy of Holies where the ark is, the place where the Shekhinah, the God, the divine revelation rests, he shall be carrying this piece with the 12 stones, beautiful diamond, uh, gems, sapphire, and all different kinds, and each one engraved with another name of another tribe. So the way the Jews were to be remembered before God is not as the Jewish people as a whole, as one, but as 12 unique families, 12 unique tribes. And it wasn't just there. Source 12, when the Jewish people were camped in the deserts, they didn't camp all together, one big camp. There was three camps on each side, excuse me, forming a square. Three tribes on each side. Each tribe had their own camp. Source 12, every man by his flag, and, and God commanded them that that's how they should rest, that's how they should camp while during their travels in the desert. Every man by his flag shall the children of Israel camp, the Torah says. As the Midrash explains, that there were 12 camps in the, the Jewish camp, within the Jewish camp. Each tribe had its own prince. Besides Moses and Aaron leading the Jewish people, each tribe elected their specific leader of their tribe. And its flag, they had their own flag whose color corresponded to the color of its stone in Aaron's breastplate. It was from the tribes of Israel that kingdoms learned to provide themselves with flags of various colors. So we can take the credit for the, co the concept of a national flag. The Jewish people, even within the Jewish people, each tribe had their own flag, a picture, a color corresponding to their color stone on on the plate that the high priest wore. And God, and God chose exactly which stone, which color. There were different pictures corresponding to the theme of that tribe. So God instructs the Jewish people to be unique, to be different, to live up to their family's tradition within the Jewish people. And not just when they were in the desert they rested, they camped that way. Also, once they crossed the, the, the Jordan River into the land of Israel, after Moshe passed on and his successor was Joshua Yoshua, who led the Jewish people into the land of Israel and began to settle the land of Israel for the Jewish people. It's the book of Joshua, the first book of the prophets tells us, Source 13, Yoshua conquered the whole country just as the Lord had promised Moshe and Yeshua assigned it to Israel and share, to share according to their tribal divisions. The land of Israel was divided according to the tribes. Each tribe received their territory. Yes, the whole country was the Jewish country where the Jews lived. 
first stretch was 850 years straight from when they came in until the exile when the first temple was destroyed. They returned 70 years later, living hundreds of more years in the land of Israel. And they had territories. The temple, Jerusalem, was in the tribe of Benjamin near Judah. In the north, you had Dan, you had... Um, Going up, you had Naphtali, you had, uh, you know, by the, by, the, by the Kinneret, by the river, you had Zevulun. Different tribes had different territories. They didn't mingle, they didn't mix. They were settling the land also according to their tribes. So in other words, each, although they were all part of the same people, the same family, there was room for individuality for each tribe living on their own, with their own color, their own themes. And really, each tribe had their own, as we said, theme, their own way of doing things, what they excelled in, what they stood for. They all had the Torah, the mitzvahs, the same Torah mitzvahs, but each of them focused in on another aspect. Source 14. The Midrash gives us an example of two of the tribes, Zevulun and Yisachar. Zevulun, the tribe of Zevulun, the descendants of the son of Jacob Zevulun, they would engage in commerce and provide food for the tribe of Issachar. They were businessmen, they were merchants. They lived near the, uh, near the sea where there, were, there was um, thing, uh, you know, business going on, importing, exporting. So they would engage in commerce and provide food for the tribe of Issachar and the tribe of Issachar would engage in the study of Torah. So they had this like partnership, this deal. Zevulun and Yisachar, it seemed like they lived near each other and then with the territories. Zevulun were spending most of their day after they prayed, they studied some Torah, they went out to do business. They made money. But with their money, they made a deal with Yisachar. They said, Yisachar, you guys study Torah. You send your children and, and, and yourselves all day in the yeshiva. You're, you're going to be the rabbis. You're going to be the teachers, the judges. You know, Make sure you know the law 100%. And when we have an issue, we'll come to you. You will teach our children Torah. You will teach us how to do mitzvahs when we have questions. So let's make a deal. You spend your time studying and teaching us. We will support you. We will do business and we will be honest in business. We will follow the laws of the Torah, how to do business. We will be kind to each other. We will do mitzvahs. We will give tzedakah from the money. We will help others with our money. We will focus in. Yes, we all study Torah. But we will focus in most of our lives most of the day, being involved in the world, doing business, and making a living, and, do, and, and using our money for good causes. That money will go to you, part of the money will go to Yisachar, we have a partnership here. Your Torah study will go for us, you will teach us Torah, and we will give you food, we will support you. They had this deal. And what's fascinating is, source 15, those counted, when the Torah, in the, in the counting that we were referring to in the book of Numbers, it counts each of the tribes, and the numbers of Yisachar and Zvulun teach us something fascinating. We have a concept called gematria, the numerical values of numbers, of, of, of letters of the alphabet. Source 15 tells us, those counted for the tribe of Yisachar, what was the total sum? 54,400. 54,000. Those counted for the tribe of Zevulun, the merchants, 57,400. Let's take the word, the number 54. In Hebrew, the letters can be used as numbers. 54 
is two Hebrew letters. Nun. The letter Nun is the numerical value of 50. Dalit. Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalit. Dalit is number 4, is 4. 54. The number 54 is two Hebrew letters. Dalit and Nun. 4 and 50. Dalit and Nun spells Dan. Dan in Hebrew means to judge. To instruct. Like a Dayan. A Dayan would be a rabbi who sits on a Bethdin who is a judge. Dinim means laws. Din means a law. Bet Din, house of law, a court. Din means to judge. The number of the tribe of Issachar was 54, which is Dan, Nun and Dalid, 54 because they were the judges. Their unique way of serving Hashem, what they excelled in, what they emphasized, was Dan, was to be the teachers. And Zevulun, which were the supporters and made the Torah learning possible. Because in order for everyone to know Torah, somebody has to support them. And if the people of, of Yisachar would not be studying Torah, they would have to go and work, then Torah would be forgotten. So just as it's important to sit and study and teach, it is also important for someone to support them. Because in order for everything to work, somebody needs to work, somebody needs to study, somebody needs to support those studying, and somebody needs to teach those working. But it's a deal. Everybody does their part, and, and then everything, go, everything works well. People continue living, they have what to eat, and they also continue spiritually living. They study Torah and know how to live a Jewish life, and how to be kind and moral and ethical life. So they're both equally important. So Zevulun, the number for Zevulun, who supported, who sustained the teachers, the rabbis, the, the judges, the spiritual guides, the spiritual mentors, who are they, Zevulun? Their number was 57. Again, 50 is Nun. The letter Nun is 50. And what's 7? Zion. Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, Hevav, Zion. Zion is number 7. Nun and Zion. Zion and Nun is 57 for Zevulun. That was their number, 57,000. Zion, Nun spells Zan. Zan in Hebrew means to sustain. It means food. Like Mizonot. Mizonot, we say, means food. When we say in, in our benching after we eat bread, Hazan et olam Hazan, we thank God for sustaining. Kazavulun, their number alludes to what they were good at, what their specific job was to sustain the teachers, and thereby having an equal role in teaching the Jewish people Torah. Maybe they weren't the actual teachers, but they were the ones behind it. They were the ones enabling it to happen. And they are equally important. And the same goes for the rest of the tribes. Each tribe excelled in a specific area. They had a specific way of connecting to God within the framework of Torah. Each one focused, each one excelled on something specific according to their attributes, according to the way God made their souls, something specific what they focused on. Out of love, out of fear, out of each one, something specific. Which mitzvah, which method they focused on. Source 16. Here we come to answer why the Jews were counted. And in general, why the Jews were always divided according to tribes. Source 16. Each one of us is a unique individual. Totally different from the next person. There are no two babies that look exactly alike. Identical. 
And same thing, our souls are different. We are each different. Even if they may look similar, they're different. We are blessed with his or her own strengths and challenges. In a general way, this individuality is expressed by the fact that the Jewish people is subdivided into 12 distinct tribes, each of which followed its own individual variation on the Torah's theme of the service of God. Each thus each tribe is counted separately, and this fact is recorded in the Torah to teach us that it's not just <coughs> we each have our souls, we're all the same, we're one, that's it. There's no differences. We all have to wear the same, and we have to be like a soldier in the army, we're all the same. No. God says, count them according to the tribes. Yes, I want to send them a message that they're valuable, that they're indispensable, that I love them, each of them, every one of them is important and counted as one. But that doesn't mean that there's no room for creativity, for individuality, to express themselves in their own way, to connect to me on their level. Count them according to the tribes. And that is a, that represents, the 12 tribes represents how each and every one of us are different. Each and every one of us have something that we can latch onto, we can focus in, we can zoom in and excel in. Something that talks to us. Which part of Torah we like to study? Which mitzvah uh, talks to us most? And even in the Talmud, there's a question that the rabbis would ask each other. You or your father, what was his special mitzvah? What did he excel in? What was his favorite mitzvah? Yes, we do all the mitzvahs. But what is unique? What is special to him? In which way does he really feel connected to Hashem in an extra special way? So by counting them, and counting them according to their tribes... Bringing out, yes, we are looking at the individuality. We are looking also at the differences. And nonetheless, they are still counted as one. That brings out how even though one is studying Torah, the people have done, for example, are being the teachers. And one are not the whole day studying Torah. They're not spreading spirituality. They're working and doing business. Of course, honestly. But they are supporting the Jewish cause. They are both counted as one. Not, oh, he is more important, so he's counted as one and a half or two, and this is one. They're just giving the tzedakah. So they're equally counted as one. Because for the entire program, each part is necessary and equally important. Source 17, how the Rebbe beautifully puts it. The fact that every Jew nonetheless counted as one emphasizes how each individual's unique nature contributes equally towards the creation of the Jewish people as a vital whole. And that is why when the Jewish people, yes, they were camped in the desert, three on each direction, three tribes on each, on each side. What was in the center? Source 18, the Torah tells us, then the tent of meeting shall set out with the Levite camp in the center of the other camps. Where was the Levites, the, the priests and, and the excuse me, Moshe and Aaron and the temple, the tabernacle, the temporary dwelling of Hashem, of the divine presence with the ark, it was in the center of all the camps. It wasn't closer to Yisachar, to the, to the leaders, to the scribes, to the teachers. It wasn't closer to the smart people or to the wealthy. It was equal to everybody, not just technically that everyone should have uh, you know, it should be in the center, but spiritually speaking, everybody is equally close to Hashem. Each person using their own talents, their character that God gave them to serve Hashem in their own unique way in the framework of the Torah. Everybody had an equal count, an equal, an equal uh, closeness to the Mishkan, to the tabernacle.
Going to the final section of today's lesson, <coughs> source 19, the white space. Take this idea a bit further. <coughs> the center of every uh, Jew, uh, of the Jewish camp, we said, was the tabernacle where the ark was. We have an ark in every synagogue, similar to the temple. Inside the ark, we have a Torah scroll. The Torah scroll, source 19. The Torah scroll contains 304, 805, 304,805 letters. Torah scroll is made up of five books, the five books of Moses, 53 portions, corresponding to the weeks of the year, a total of 304 plus letters, 304,000 letters. Each handwritten, each letter is handwritten in black ink on parchment by a highly trained scribe. If a single letter is missing, or deformed, the entire scroll is unfit for use. Every Jew is a letter in God's scroll. Every single letter needs to be there. 304,000 letters in the Torah scroll. If one letter is missing or not written properly, if one letter is missing, the entire Torah scroll is affected. The entire Torah scroll is not kosher. And that's why every once in a while a scribe has to go over every Torah scroll and make sure no letters are faded. Every letter is there. Every Jew is like a letter in the Torah. Every Jew, God's message by counting the Jewish people was that every single Jew, no matter the level of observance, no matter any level, what, what, where they're up to, every Jew has an ashama, Jewish soul. And that soul is important and is indispensable. Just like a letter in the Torah. We need every single one in every generation. God puts us here not by accident. God puts us here for a reason. We're born for a specific mission. Whatever country we live in or countries we lived in, whatever place we live in, that is where our mission is. We have a specific mission. We're a letter in the Torah. Every letter is important. But then comes the second important lesson. The lesson of being counted by the 12 tribes. <clears throat> Source 20. An important law <clears throat> regarding the Torah scroll <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> is that each of its letters must be ringed by a blank strip of parchment. Should a letter touch its fellow even by a hair, thereby violating the white space between them, the entire scroll is disqualified from use until the error is corrected. Every letter needs to be surrounded by plain parchment, clean, clear parchment. If the scroll, the scribe, when he's checking the, the mezuzah or the Torah scroll <coughs> or the tefillin scrolls, finds that one letter, the ink, has smudged and the letters are connected, then it needs to be corrected. The letters need to be surrounded by blank white space. So not just every letter needs to be there, we need every Jew. Every Jew is valuable and important. But also, every letter needs to stand for itself. Every letter needs to be disconnected from the other letter. It needs to be a letter for itself, an individual letter. Not just one long connection of letters going into each other from beginning to end. Each letter stands alone as its unique letter. And that brings us to the final quotes, and we'll finish off with the story, source 21. 
Equally important is the inviolable white space which distinguishes each and every one of us as a unique individual. We're not connected to the other. Each and every one of us is unique. Often a strong sense of community and communal mission obscures the differences between its members, blurring them to a faceless mass. They're all just one group of people. They're all the same. As we said, God counts every single one. You're all one. You all have a soul. You're all equally important. You're all the same. Says the Torah, true, my hundreds of thousands of letters spell a single integral message. It's all part of one Torah. But this message is comprised of hundreds of thousands of voices, each articulating in its, each articulating it in its own particular manner and medium. To detract from the individuality and uniqueness of one is to detract from the integrity of the collective whole. If two letters are touching, then the entire whole is something, there's a problem. The whole Torah is not good. Each and everybody needs to serve God individually. Yes, following the Torah, following the mitzvahs. But there needs to be room for creativity, to connect into Hashem, not in a robotic way, but in a meaningful way, a way that talks to you. There is a law in the Talmud. A person should always learn Torah where his heart desires. In whatever area, whatever topic in, in Torah law, in Torah in general, that he likes. You like, you like history, learn Jewish history. You like uh, more halacha, Jewish law, learn law. You like story. Every area, which topics, which mitzvahs you enjoy studying more. Everybody, there needs to be room for us to connect ourselves, what we enjoy. It's not just we're all the same. And the same thing with different mitzvahs. Yes, there's a mitzvah of tefillin, but there's different kinds of tefillin, different sizes, there's different, there's different, uh, <clears throat> within that there are different customs and, you know, like different tribes served God in different ways, with, all within the framework, the mitzvah of tefillin. You want to give tzedakah, you can choose where to give your tzedakah. You like more this cause, you like that cause, you like giving tzedakah to Israel, you want to give locally, you want to give to poor people, you want to give to sick people, you can choose where specifically you want to allocate your money. Where, which mitzvah you want to excel? And yes, we got to do all of the mitzvahs. But where specifically, God says, count them. Yes, they're all important, but count them according to their tribes. Give them room. Not just room, the way they should be. It should be meaningful. They should connect to me in their, with, the, with their own specific set of tools that I gave them, with their specific soul, with their character, with their traits, with what talks to them. Yes, they're each important. And the story that comes to mind is the story of the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Shalom Dovber, known as the Rebbe Rashab. He lived in the town of Lubavitch. Our movement is called Chabad, Chabad Lubavitch. Lubavitch is a town in, in, uh, in Russia somewhere. Lubavitchi, which actually means love. In, in Russian, I believe Luba means love. Because that was the teachings of Hasidus that, the, the, that were taught to us as Moshe did, to love every Jew, to look at their souls, the essence of their souls, and look who they really are. And everything else is just the dirt on the, on the diamond. When the Rebbe was standing there, he was polishing the diamonds, as we said. Polishing the souls. Everything else is external. Look at who the person really is. Teaching us to wear Moses' glasses. To wear God's glasses and look at each other. Look at a fellow human being and a fellow Jew with the eye glass, with the eyes, with the glasses of Moshe. To look at their souls. So the fifth Lubavitch Rebbe, living in Lubavitch later on uh, during World War I, he moved on to Rostov, Nadanu, on the Don River. And he lived there until his passing in 1920. The Rebbe Rashab, Rabbi Sholem Blair, that's what's an abbreviation for, 
would give lots of attention to every Jew that came to his door, even Jews that seemed to be simple and not so, not so knowledgeable, not so pious maybe. And yet, he spent time with them, even though he was a philosopher, he was a, a great thinker. Just wait one moment. Plug this in. Sorry. And one of his chassidim, one of his followers, was was disturbed. He was disturbed that uh, his Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashab, is giving so much attention to the simple folk. And he was a great chassid, a great uh, pious man. So he turned uh, to his Rebbe, went in for a private audience with him. And he turns to his Rebbe and he says, Rebbe, I don't see anything special about these people. Why are you giving them so much attention? Why do you shower them with love? and affection. The Rebbe became thoughtful. This is the fifth Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashab. And then he turns to this chassid. His name was um, Menachem Manah's son. I believe that was his name. This man was, a, besides being a, a pious chassid, he was a merchant. He was a diamond dealer. He worked with diamonds. So the Rebbe turned to him and said, you have any merchandise with you? You have any of your gems with you? He says, "Sure." He pulls out his uh, his, pou- his pouch, pulls out his bag with uh, some diamonds. He puts them out on the table, and he's pointing to the Rebbe. Look at this gem. Look at that gem. And then he points to one gem, and he says, "Oh, this is something special. Look how it. Look how bright. Look how it shines. Look at the. Look at it, uh, how it's cut. This is something really special." And the Rebbe looks at the diamond and he says, I don't see anything special. Actually, this one, this looks a bit nicer to me. And he says, no, no, that's, that's not something. This is something nice. I, I don't see anything special. To me, it looks the same like anything else. So the Chassid tells the Rebbe, you know what? To understand in diamonds, to understand which diamond, which gem is more precious and more valuable, you have to be a maven. You have to be an expert. You've got to be a diamond dealer. You've got to know how it's cut. You have to understand these things. Not an ordinary person, you know, with all due respect to, the, to you, Rebbe. You, you, can't, you have to be an expert in diamonds. You, you won't be able to tell. And that's why it seems the same to you. So the Rebbe said, Aha. He tells this chassid, To understand in souls, one has to be an expert. Yes, to you they may seem like simple people. Nothing special to them. What do they accomplish? What intelligence do they have? But one needs to be an expert. A rebel leader is like Moshe, like Moses, who God instructs to count the Jewish people and see their essence, see how each and every one of them is beautiful, is a diamond. Yes, the diamond might be a little bit uh, dirty and there might be some dust on it at times, but that's how diamonds are. Diamonds are found in a mine. They don't come out beautiful. Always. They're dirty, but you've got to wash them up and polish them. Moshe, a leader, a rabbi teaches us, the, the rabbi taught us how to look at every Jew, to look at the diamond. We don't throw them away if they might be a bit dirty. They're shining like a diamond. And by God instructing Moshe to count the Jewish people, the process of the counting was what was needed here. God didn't need to know the sum total. He wasn't to tell Moshe how many Jews there were. It was in order for every Jew to get a message of love, 
a message of importance, a message that they are indispensable, they're needed for the minion. Their own, there's only 10 here. Every single person is needed. Nobody else could fill in for them. And whatever individual way they will connect to Hashem, how the Jews are divided to 12 tribes, that's how God wants them counted. Count them according to the tribes. They're important to me the way they serve me according to the tribe, according to their individual traits, according to what makes them feel more connected to me within the framework of Torah. They're equally, whether they're the ones teaching, whether they're the ones healing their doctors, or they're helping people with legal work, whatever they're doing, they're doing it in an honest way, in a Torah way, they're equally important, contributing to the entire Jewish cause, the cause of making this world a better place. Conclude with a short story. The baby camel turns to the daddy camel and says, why do we have such flat feet? So daddy says, well, we walk across the desert sand. So in order to be able to walk many long treks in the desert sand, the feet are made in a way to make it easier for us. Well, daddy, why, the baby camel says, why are our eyes shaped in such a way, different than other animals? And daddy camel says, well, in the desert, or walking on these long treks in the desert, the eyes protect us from the wind that the sand that the, the wind blows in our eyes, blows the sand in our eyes. Oh, Daddy, the baby camel says, "Why do we have such big, um, the the what are they call the hunk the things on our back?" And the, the daddy camel says that's for the water to be stored up because we're going in the desert and there's no water and we need the water to drink to bring up to keep us to keep us uh, from getting thirsty in the, in the long traveling in the deserts so the baby camel says to the daddy camel if all of this is for the desert then what are we doing in the Bronx Zoo so all of this is for us to be out in the world to engage the world, to do business, to live a, a, a life while we're living a regular mundane life connected to this world and infuse the world, elevate the physical world with godliness, with divinity, with kindness. But for the time being, we are, as much as possible, quarantined. We are staying at home. But we are studying Torah. We are still connecting to other people in the way we can. And hopefully soon we'll be able to get out there again in a real, in a more of a real way, really connecting to, to, to other people face to face, connecting to each other more and continue on this message, sharing this message, how each and every one of us, when we look at each other, we should see the good in each other. We should see the diamonds and be like Moshe, polish those diamonds, bring out the good in every person, encourage, inspire. And we're all equally important. We're all making this world a better place. Each of us in the specific tribe, the specific mission that speaks to us that God gave us. Each and every one of us is loved by God and indispensable. That was for our Lunch and Learn, number 83. This is our weekly lesson that we study Torah together on Tuesdays. Usually we have lunch at 12 and the study session at 12.15. Tune back in next Tuesday at 12.15 for Lunch and Learn, Lunch and Learn number 84. If you have a specific topic you would like to be discussed, 
you feel feel free to uh, to share it with me. Uh, hopefully, we will have something live on Thursday as well. Stay tuned. Probably Thursday evening. Stay tuned. Stay positive and stay healthy. If anybody has any comments now, any questions? Uh, I believe somebody asked a question earlier. <clears throat> If anybody has any other comments or questions, feel free to comment. Um, hey, why didn't they count daughters? Uh, Judy's asking, how come in the, in the desert the daughters weren't counted? So, that's a good question. I was thinking of this when preparing today's lesson. Actually, it wasn't only the males that were counted. Meaning, it wasn't every male that was counted. It was specifically... The males that were like soldiers between um, 20 and 60, if I'm not mistaken, that were counted. Like in the United States, uh, I'm not sure about this. This is my, um, I believe that's only from 18 and older that's counted. So it's not every single person that was counted. And especially back in the day, the men were more the, the soldiers, you know, the ones that were involved, uh, that were more engaged in the world and the outside doing business. The women at that time were usually, uh, you know, uh, more at home, caring for the inside, for the home, for the children. Uh, so perhaps that is um, a simple explanation why it was only the men that age that were counted. Um, more from a deeper perspective perhaps you have to think about this but perhaps the idea is that that in general women men and women are different they have different makeup different spiritual makeup their souls are different and you know different mitzvahs also are different for men different for women it's not all the same similar to what we're saying here you know we're not all the same we're we're different and men and women just like the 12 tribes is a division of, of how the jews are divided men and women is another way of dividing the fact is that just as our bodies are different, our souls are different, our makeup is different, the way we think is different, the way we feel is different, there's lots of differences between us, but we're all equal, as we said. We equally, just like within the 12 tribes, each one equally contributes to the cause. Excuse me, same thing is, thank you for correcting me, I guess the U.S. census does count even children, but just... Uh, just because we're different doesn't mean that one is more important or less important. It, everybody has their role and we equally contribute to, to society and to, to the Jewish cause. Speaking here about the Jewish people. So when it comes to mitzvahs, so for example, uh, lighting Shabbos candles is something specifically for women. Now, yes, if, if there is no woman, woman at the home, a man does light. But when there is a woman at the house, the woman has given the mitzvah and the man shouldn't take it away from her. It's her role to light the Shabbos candles. And, you know, tefillin is something more for men. There, there's uh, going to a mikvah, immersing in a mikvah, something for the woman. So there's specific uh, mitzvahs uh, for men, specific mitzvahs for women. Many mitzvahs women are exempt of. Because their primary role usually uh, is to be more at home, <clears throat> at least uh, in the general sense, and that was their specific mission. Not that it's less important or more important, and therefore the men were the ones that were counted, giving them the 
Excuse me, my, uh, one second. So, so when the Kabbalah explains why is that, I'm sorry, why is that? Because every mitzvah, why are men has, have more mitzvahs than women? Because every mitzvah is an opportunity to connect to Hashem, to be charged up, to be reconnected, to be to, to refocus ourselves with our source. Like you take our phone, I had to do here a moment ago, it was get, the battery was getting low. I needed to recharge it to, to connect it to a source of, of to a flow of electricity to to you know power up the battery. So our souls also need to be just like we feed our bodies. We need to power up our souls by connecting. And men tend to be you know being more out there in the world. They need sort of more reminders and just they get more distracted and therefore they need more mitzvahs, more opportunities to connect, to recharge. And women, are their, their neshamas, their souls are more felt by them. This is what it, how it's explained in the Kabbalah. And they're more in tune with their faith, with their, with their souls, with, uh, with spirituality. And therefore, they are exempt from certain mitzvahs because they don't need as many. So perhaps... Again, we have to check this up. But perhaps, again, the simpler answer would be because the men were the soldiers, sort of the ones out there, out there in the world, and therefore only at that, also that age was counted. But uh, more speaking from a Kabbalistic uh, view, perspective, the women, the counting is in order to send this message, it's like a reminder, but someone who doesn't need their reminder, doesn't, you know, they're more in touch with their essence of their soul, so it's not needed as much. So perhaps... That can be a little bit, a little bit of an insight into uh, into this idea, into this difference. Um, it's really nice to see everybody. Hello, Yaakov. Hello, uh, Stan. Hello, everybody else. Uh, Shaya, Oscar, whoever else I didn't mention. Uh, Irene, Arthur, uh, Naomi, Hank. Uh, really nice to see everybody to learn together. Uh, last chance for another question. Otherwise, we will... Okay, Stan, it sounds like they needed to know how many warriors they had. <clears throat> so again, if they needed to, it's possible that's a simple explanation, but as we were speaking here, that if, if that was the case, then God would not need to instruct Moshe to do so. Mo- Moshe was a leader. He did many things without God's instruction. I mean, that's very technical. He, you know, he could have figured that out himself. God needs to give Moshe a specific instruction here, how to, you know, how to count because, and the way it should be counted, because in addition to the regular reason for counting, there's also a message of love that God wants to send to every single, uh, every single individual. So thank you all for watching. Uh, it's amazing that we could continue studying Torah in such a way, and more people can join. Once again, tune in next Tuesday, 12.15. Have a wonderful day. Keep your spirits high.